Welcome to Horror Originals Podcast. I'm Mansi, and I am your storyteller. You are listening to Season 1, Behind the Wheel. Today's story is 60 Degrees, Part 2. In the last part, Jazz and Sid had figured out one clue. A small city called Nagar near Manali tied up both the murders that they were looking at. And now it was their turn to go to the city and figure out who the murderer was. It's also time that Jazz meets the murderer she's so desperately looking for. Back up, Jazz told Sid. In the next few hours, the two were off to the Mumbai airport on special permits for the team. Within 24 hours of the last murder, they were in Manali, driving across the rolling hills and greenery of Himalayas in September. If only it wasn't for work, Sid would have gone off trekking and holidaying. Jazz was unaffected by the scenic beauty, however, of the overtowering mountains or the waving pine trees. She was focused on the file she had with her on her phone. Jazz had a status to maintain, a half-century to strike. The pressure was on her from all the sides to solve a high-profile murder case and catch a possible serial murderer. But more so, it was her own determination of an unsurpassable success rate that kept her working every second of her waking hour. See, think, sense. What happened? How did it happen? Who could have done it? She was thinking to herself all the way to Nagar. Some men from the state branch were huddled in the back seat. She had ignored them. They slurped on the local thupkas on the way and took some time to enjoy persimmons fresh from the sprawling trees of Himachal. But she wasted no time on such simple pleasures. Nagar Castle was not a conspicuous tourist place. You wouldn't even know you passed the castle gates made of wooden frames, like any other cafe, houses or monasteries lining the circling roads up the mountain. If the driver wasn't familiar with the local routes, one would go round and round forever until they reached up the rocky peak with nothing but a gorgeous view of the valley. The party had to come out of the vehicle and go inside the castle through a large rectangular gate that had a small door opening up for only a fraction. One person at a time could enter. It was surely an interesting spot. People, thin in numbers in the off-season, were clicking pictures in front of antler horns decorated at the entrance. Inside, a vintage wooden architecture lined with pictures led to an open porch. There were wooden corridors with wooden railings on three sides. The fourth side, with no walls, faced the deep valley and high mountains. Brightest of the blue shone brilliantly as the sun reached nearer to the center of the clear blue dome right above their heads. Mountain sun was harsh on the skin and eyes. Jazz covered her eyes with her palms and continued her observation of the place. There was a beautiful setting of a hotel on the first floor and the ground floor housed guests of privilege in cottage-style suites. The castle was famous for being architecturally sturdy, earthquake-proof, made of tough stones. She could see heavy, dense wooden blocks between the stones that had held the castle together for almost six centuries. 
they carried the material manually over Bias River. Jas turned. A young skinny boy in his teens stood with a wide smile on his face. There were paint drops on his cheeks and shirt. His smile was carefree and pearly white. Would you like to buy a painting for memory? I can draw you against the backdrop as well. You can decorate your house with it or your door or probably your room. Oh no, um, I'm not here for leisure, but I can do with some help. She eyed the boy. With his stature, it was seemingly impossible to pin anyone, let alone a couple or a huge heavy man. The boy seemed to be put off when he realized he wasn't going to coax her into buying anything. And she knew it from the pearly white smile losing its width. Why don't you show me what you can do? Hell, I'll buy something. The boy's electrified smile was back again. He led her out towards the wooden corridors lining the valley-facing side of the castle. They turned left and reached an area with some space to stand and take in the scenery. I was allowed to put up shop here for the off-season only to give tourists a picture of themselves against the mountains and the castle architecture. I can paint really well, you know. See this? He pointed at a flimsy display of canvas pinned over boards and a pile of canvas one over the other sitting on a small table besides the board. He had also set up a small wooden frame strapped with fresh canvas with only backdrop painted on it, his brushes and paints ready to be used and paint the person in the center. Jazz flipped through the paintings on the table. There were sceneries from the valley, village life, rivers, and famous views of Himachal. And then there were many, many portraits of people standing on the spot just a few steps away from where she stood. He wasn't Van Gogh, but he was good at his work. She then looked at the canvases pinned on the boards resting against the castle wall. They were of people he had previously painted. Then something caught her eye. A huge man stood posing with a cigar against the very backdrop she could look from that corridor. It was the man who was now as dead as an autumn leaf. When did you paint this? She took the painting without permission. The boy sighed. A month ago, the man never came to take it back and he left without paying me. It takes hours, nights to paint this stuff. He said he would be coming back and he'd be paying me the full amount, but he never did. Did you paint any couples? Jazz looked at him, her heart beating in acceleration. Many, but one couple stood out. They seemed too high up their own asses. They threw the money at me and said I can keep the change. What do you mean threw the money at you? Well, they didn't like their painting. They thought they looked better than how I painted them. They even made fun of the painting that I had hung up over here. And he said that I made people look ugly. You can't make people look prettier just because you can paint, you know. Do you have their painting? No, they took it. Were they these people? She propped a photograph of the now-dead couple in front of the boy. He scowled. Yes, these were the ungrateful pricks. He shook his head, unable to think of asking why she was asking these questions. He was too preoccupied with his own indignation. The painting they had made fun of was of a man, disabled in his right side with paralysis, you know. Such a young man, such a beautiful person. 
the boy flipped through his canvases and took out one painting he had been holding on to for a few months now. Who is he? I wish I knew, but the gentleman paid me in advance, full amount, but he never turned up to take it. His portrait turned out to be very beautiful, I feel, so I hung it here too. But I was insulted and I was put down by that other couple who had made fun of it. And then this man, he tapped a finger on the fat man's photograph Jas was holding, had also laughed and questioned me. Can you imagine? Because I had painted someone not as blessed as they are, a disfigured, disabled model who I want to say was otherwise. Jazz looked at the painting. The man, painted in the shades of warm hues, was six feet tall and he was in his thirties. His neck was bent to his side. On the right, his shoulders were pointy and his right shoulder almost touched his ear. He could only half smile and stand in a haunch and look sideways. It creeped her out. Her face grimaced, looking at the portrait of an ugly creature in a beautiful backdrop. What an irony, she thought. Do you also think it is? Oh no, in fact, uh, I'm going to buy these two from you. How much? You only need to pay for one. The gentleman had already made a point to pay me the full amount. Oh, not a problem, still. Jazz handed over 5,000 to the boy and left with the two canvases in her hand. Quickly, she asked it to open a plastic evidence bag for her and placed the canvases individually in them for protection. It was kind of a breakthrough. But this man, Sid pointed at the disfigured man, doesn't look like he can kill anyone. I don't know, what makes you so sure that he is handicapped for real? He was probably doing a sick act for all we know. Let's first find out who he is. And find him they did the next day. A local hospital mortician recognized him as the unidentified body that had come to him a few months back. The body, they said, was found floating in a pond near the Nagar castle, as no one had come for it for three months or reported anyone missing, a tourist or a local man. They had cremated the body. Jazz slumped on a hospital chair and clutched her hair. Her lead suspect was dead long before committing any murders. The ugly, disfigured man was really handicapped as it turned out in his post-mortem report and had no identification on him. Suddenly, she jumped. A picture framed in front of her on the hospital wall had fallen and shattered into countless pieces. The frame below it was swung askew. A janitor came rushing and started to clean up. Jazz! Sid came with a file in his hand. This came over. There was another murder case with a similar MO here in Manali. Jazz couldn't find her voice. She was still reeling from the shock of the shattered frame. Was it her broken sleep? Or was it the non-stop puzzle knotting and opening in her mind? She took the file and scanned through the first leaf. It contained pictures of the murder scene in a prominent tourist hotel. Another couple lay dead with clouded eyes and gaping mouths on their king beds. The two legs of the bed under their heads were broken, making a 60-degree angle with the floor. Something crawled inside her skin, something cold, prickly, evoking fear. 
The couple were well-known travel bloggers who had traveled around the world and had some 12 million following on social platforms. They were self-grown influencers, ruling the traveling space online. The cameras, luggage bags, tripod stands, LED lights, hotel furniture, they were all blown in the same direction as if by a gust of wind and were all against a wall. The angles of the bodies and the objects round, as Jess thought, was 60 degrees. Who is this? What do they want? Jess said, her voice coming out in a whisper. Sid shook his head. He was pale and covered in sweat. Jess, I say we leave this case. Let someone else take over. It feels wrong, he said anxiously. Jess shot a disapproving look at him. I've never lost a case. You think I will simply give it up just because things are getting tough? The sharpness in her voice and the gleam in her eyes shot back, flushing the chilling wave under her skin away. I have never said anything like this before, Sid raised his brows and tried to make her understand. After today, for some reason, Jess, I have a bad feeling about this. I'm not a quitter. Never was and never will be, she said sternly. Sid watched her stubborn face for a while and sighed. There was no stopping her. You are on your own then on this one. I'm done. He shook his head and turned to leave. Sid, Jazz called him. I'll dismiss you from the team. You worked really hard to get into this, right? Don't forget that it was me who got you here. Sid was shocked, almost heartbroken to hear the nasty tone in the voice of his mentor. Goodness, Jazz, you're so full of it. Fine, do it. I'm not going against my decision because this time I don't feel it's right. I'm going to state the reason as mental pressure from you for quitting this case, Jazz. Working late nights and all, you're my mentor, not my owner. Though he admired her, he was so done dealing with her shit. Mostly, something was clutching at his heart and he knew he had to let this go. Whether it was the kind of murders or the paintings he had just seen, he didn't know. But he just wanted to go. After a silent minute of staring at each other, Sid left. Jazz stayed, continuing her investigation with the police while Sid spoke with the superiors and explained his situation to him. They allowed him to go back. Jazz continued with her investigation for a few more days and returned home with nothing but the canvases and some statements, records and details. Nothing pointed to a suspect, nothing gave a clue to why or how of the case. She sprawled over her bed the day she returned and stared at her bedroom ceiling for hours, thinking her record-breaking streak had now stopped. It was a tumbling rock about to trip and fall flat on its face. She blinked. It crossed her mind. If she thought about it, she had always been at the top of everything she did. The reason she never quit was because she knew she never lost. Her confidence, drive and ambition were all ingrained in her after years of winning and showing others what she was really worth. How better she was from the others. I'm just like the couple or the dead fat-ass guy. She watched the fan of her ceiling go round and round and thought how perfectly she fit the description of the victim-type column of the whiteboard back in her office. It was written in Sid's handwriting. 
her face contorted in anger and disappointment. He had turned his tail between his legs and quit. What a coward! How weak and dumb! Is that all he could do? Give up the puzzle when it was too tough to put it together? She scoffed. Maybe she won't dismiss him, but simply put him on cases that kept him buried in the papers or on the desk, right where he belonged. A strange metallic sound came from the fan above her. It made her wince and sit up. The fan was moving in circles, but it was crying as if someone pulled it down. She took a deep breath and switched it off. It was better to turn the air conditioning on anyway. It was hot and humid. A glass of lemonade with soda would be good, or something much stronger. She hadn't had her favorite whiskey in a while, so she walked towards the kitchen. It was nine in the night and dark outside except the traffic lights that were leaking in her hall enough to light up the couches, tables, and bookshelves. A clock ticked away drowsily. She switched on her TV, and she sat with a glass of whiskey poured on soda and ice. She blinked. Her TV seemed to be tilted. She stood up with a frown to straighten it, but then she saw it was right where it was on the wall before. It was a sofa, her couch that had been tilted. The base of her sofa had sunk on one corner. It was she who was tilted when the TV turned on. What a bother! She frowned and sipped on her glass. A kink on the left of her neck made her wince and hold her neck all of a sudden. It had been a turbulent flight back to Mumbai and she had forgotten her neck pillow. I slept all wrong. She winced again as a nerve spasmed. She kept her glass on the center table and crash. The glass fell rolling down the table. She had stepped back from the broken glass and moaned when she looked at the table. The two legs of the table had broken from the side and the tabletop lay against the floor. It lay at 60 degrees, just like the sofa that had sunk in the corner, just like her neck was bending in pain and the spasms got more intense and painful. Tears came down her eyes. The pain in her neck was getting worse. The glass splattered on the floor, dug into her feet, and her body twisted. She fell on the floor on her knees, and the glass dug into her kneecaps. She mustered all her strength and stood up, gritting her teeth as the glass sticking in her knees cut through her flesh. She had to reach her phone and call someone for help. Sid, she shouted in her mind. She was in too much pain to be able to speak. If only he would pick up her call. If only he wasn't as cross with her as she was with him. If only he wasn't the one to hold grudges as she was. Her phone was kept on a side table. She tried to limp towards it. Her hand was cold and shivering. Her neck spasm had reached her shoulder. Her arms were turning in odd angles as they twitched. She tried to pick up her phone, but her fingers twitched in spasms too. They became gnarly in front of her eyes, and as she watched them, horror crept throughout her body, and she screamed. What is happening to me? She tried to scream, but her neck spasms had reached her throat now. She could feel her jaws twist towards her neck. The pain was getting unbearable. Her twisting hands were now on the table, and her phone shone all of a sudden. It was a call from Sid, 
All she had to do was to answer, to pick up. All she needed to do was to swipe with one finger, one gnarly finger. She tried to bring her fingers over the screen and swipe, but she was spasming, unable to speak and in extreme pain, as if a giant thumb was trying to squash her against the floor. She swiped the icon to the left with one protruding knuckle, and Sid's voice came through. Hello, Jess? I'm not going to work on the case for sure, but it's not because I'm quitting. It's because I found another one. The picture you found of the man with paralysis on one side. He was murdered. He was killed and thrown into a pond as if he was trash and not a living person. How can I let it go? I need to find his murderers. I'm sorry I bailed on you, but please understand. I was becoming crazy with this 60-degree mystery. It freaked me out for some strange reason. From the very first day, Jas, are you there? Jas was very much there and trying to scream, growl, cry, move to make any sound. But the spasms were tearing her from the inside and they twisted her to her left. She was bending backwards slowly and she could see the wall then the aluminium window pane and then the glass door of her bay window overlooking the sparkling city of Mumbai. Then there was a man in front of her bay window floating in the air of the fourth floor and looking at her. That man was me. The disabled, ugly thing she grimaced at in the castle just like many others. My whole living life I thought as I looked at the world at 60 degrees with my twisted neck, if only I could see the world like they did. Maybe I would discover why they thought I was ugly. Maybe I was really ugly. I didn't want to think that though. God has made everyone beautiful in their own existence. Yet, one day, a group of boys saw me getting a portrait done. They laughed and made fun of me when I left the castle. They followed me jesting and mimicking my twisted arm and limping walk. When I turned around and asked them to leave me alone, they took me to a secluded corner and beat me to death. As if it was not satisfying for them, they stripped me of my clothes, identification and threw me into cold waters. From then on, I wanted others to look from my perspective and understand what I wanted to say. Look at me, at how I look at you. I am no monster. You probably are, though, looking down at a cripple who can hardly talk to others. I was only looking to travel and live for once with the insurance money my father had left me on his deathbed. I only wanted to see more of the world. But they took it away from me. I made them look first. Now, I'll make others look at me like how I want them to. So look at me, Jas. Look at me. I can see her writhing in pain. I'm only trying to make her look at my being like I look at her being. She can hear me and she can see me. I can see it in her eyes. They are widening and they are fixed on me. Jas, am I really ugly to you? She can't say anything. I have shown her the truth so enlightening that she is speechless. 
The best way for her to understand the truth is to look at it like I do. Everything will be like I see it to be. She's snapping from her sides, from her shoulders. Her spine is twisting right to match my angle of view. Let me support her. The lamp can stand her up and keep her in the perfect line of view. Right there. She's gurgling and blood is spilling out of her mouth. Why? The lamp I stuck inside her back seemed to have done it. Her heart is bleeding. She will soon go away. But she has been enlightened. I am connected to the canvas that made me the happiest in my life. The boy who painted me with such a bright smile. I poured my love and affection into his colors. A god I cannot see, even from my perspective, is connected to my umbilicus with that of the canvas. I see Sid trying to figure out who beat me and threw me into the water. He's a good person and he doesn't seem to think I'm ugly, but there were some people around him who did. Why the hell do you want to investigate a cripple? I heard one of them say with a disgusted look on their face. I'll make them see, however long it takes. I'll make them see. Thanks for listening to my story all the way. If you want to hear more spine-chilling stories, follow Horror Originals. Do share and leave your thoughts in the comments. A small note on the copyright for the background music used. Please do not add this audio content to the YouTube content ID system. I have used background music owned by Fasilian Studios. Tune back in next week. I'll see you then.